Welcome. So happy all of you came, including my mother. Hi. Um, uh, really excited to be here. And there's just so much to talk about that I just want to jump right in. Um, as, as Rabbi Ari said, this class tonight, the longer title would be the light of Judaism, what the Greeks couldn't understand, could not understand. And as we'll see, how couldn't they understand it? Riva, hi Riva, so happy you're here, hi. Uh, not only couldn't they understand it, because they focused and cared so much on understanding things, they therefore couldn't stand it either. So what is this about Judaism? First, before we can understand what it is about Judaism, let's understand a little bit about Greek culture. So I know you came here for me to speak, but uh, can you either chat or meet yourself and tell me what comes to mind when you think of Greek culture? Mythology. I heard two things at once. I couldn't hear either of them. Mythology. And that? Mythology. Mythology. The body. The body. Ooh, yeah. Food. They like food just like Jews like food. We have some Greek things games. in common, that's for sure. What else? Greek games. Great games. The games, yeah. The Olympics. The Olympics, right. Yeah. Math, right? Science, astronomy, math. We have geometry, right? Pythagorean theorem and architecture, sculpture, as, as we said, the body form, of course, philosophy and science. And we know Aristotle. And um, when we say body, you have the gyms and the Olympics. We know they put a gym right across from the, the Holy Temple, uh, the Olympics. You know, thank God for the Greeks, you know, if it wasn't for the Olympics. You also had medicine. Absolutely. The medicine. That can, I mean, we I definitely, this class is not about <laughs> shaming what they have given us. Thank you, Greeks, for all you have contributed to modern society. We really, really deeply appreciate it, especially the Summer Olympics. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> but, um, and their philosophy, their science, but what was their focus? What was their focus in all these things? Um, their focus was, was reason, was logic, was rational thinking, the observable, right? The body, the physical form. So this is what they cared about. This is what they understood. This is um, their, their go-to. This is, this is how, how all, of, all of the culture that we just mentioned really comes from these things. Physical form, the observable, that's all science, right? The observable, the rational, the logic, the reason. They valued intellect so much in a very, you know, a logical reasoning way. So first of all, before I continue, do you hear me clearly? Is this working? Internet's good, fantastic, lovely. Okay, so as, as we said, as great as their contribution to society was, and as thankful as we are, because this was their focus, they could not appreciate or understand the essential quality of Judaism, this light of Judaism, something about Judaism, which because they couldn't understand it, like we said, they couldn't stand it. And hence, ultimately, the Greeks and the Jews did not get along. You know, in the beginning, by the way, they did get along. They got along for a little while until they realized mm -mm, at a certain point, they just, do it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. So where is that point that it doesn't fit? What is that point that we completely you know, are that we're diametrically opposed in, in that way. What is this essential quality of Judaism that just doesn't work with the Greek way of thinking, as great as it is in its own right? That's what we're just here to talk about and discover tonight. So you ever hear like, whatever I know I learned in kindergarten? Yeah, well, it's not always true. I'm sorry, Riva, I hope this isn't a problem. You know, um, but okay, <laughs> it's not always true because sometimes we're taught things in a way that simplify things so that we can understand them as children. Um, but as you get older, you learn that uh, it wasn't exactly the truest form. So, you know, story of Hanukkah, and I'm not really going into the whole story of Hanukkah right now, but we will come to appreciate what was, as Rabbi Ari said, the essence behind the whole story of Hanukkah, what the big problem was. 
So, but remember the part where they come back after they won the war and they found the Holy Temple completely in ruins, you know, things everywhere, garbage everywhere. There was, you know, there were idols and pigs and, and what, what do we know? That they had destroyed all the jugs of oil. And this is what we're taught, right? They destroyed the jugs of oil. And lo and behold, wow, miracles of miracles. Ellie, Ellie's in my class. Hi, Ellie. This is so fun. Um, so they had destroyed all the jugs of oil. And one of the mir great miracles of Hanukkah is that even though the Greeks had tried to destroy every single one, there was one left, one left not destroyed. I hate to break it to you, um, you know, your childhood, um, how, how we learned it of old, but the truth is they did not destroy the jugs of oil. They simply defiled them. They defiled the jugs of oil. And I'm, should I do screen share now? I guess we could go back and forth, I suppose. Let's see if we could go back and forth. Wait, that's not it. Shoots. Okay, stop share. That's the wrong one. How do I stop share? Here we go. That's the wrong one. But where is it? Here we go. Lovely. Okay, so here, I'm going to just jump down to this one. In the Gemara, it says, uh, When the Greeks entered the base of Mictus, the Holy Temple, Timu, Tame, they defiled, they made impure the jugs of oil that were in the holy temple. So we'll come back to that. We're going to come back to that towards the end. But the question is, why? Why they just simply, un they literally just took the seal off of them so that instead of having, an, as your childhood image tells you, a room full of smashed jugs of oil and oil spilling everywhere and they have to clean it up and you know how hard it is to clean oil. No, they didn't have to clean up any oil. They were actually all very neatly there. Just the seals were open, the seals were opened. And so that seal being broken made all the jugs of oil impure and unable to be used to light the menorah uh, in, in the Holy Temple. And of course, we know that the menorah was not invented from Hanukkah. There was a menorah in the Holy Temple that they used to light. And they needed this, this pure olive oil in order to light it. Problem was, when they got back, there were none left because they were all defiled. And the miracle was, not that they found one that wasn't smashed and broken, but that they had found, they found one that still had the seal of the of the of the priest, right? The the Kohen Gadol on it, saying that this one is still pure. That was the miracle that they found. So why didn't they destroy it? What's this whole trick of just opening the seal? What's the big deal about that? And we'll come back to that as we understand what their what the Greeks' big problem with Judaism was and and is. Uh, that's that's what we'll understand. What was their goal? What, what, what were they fighting against? Now, to understand what their goal was and what they were fighting against, let's look into the very famous Al-Hanisim, a prayer that we say um, on Hanukkah. Here we go, back to my screen sharing. I have to make sure I'm on the right one. There we go. That we say on Hanukkah. Um, the Al-Hanisim, right? Okay, so Al-Hanisim. Here, I can't highlight this text because you see it's just like a picture box. But if you follow my mouse, um, I'm just going to jump right to where I'm looking. What was the goal of the Greeks? So we're celebrating these miracles that God did for us that in the days of Matis Yahu, um, the Greek kingdom, Malchus Yavan, uh, stood up, this wicked uh, Greek kingdom stood up, and what was their goal? Lehashki ham torasecha, are the words here by my mouse, hope you could see it. Lehashki ham torasecha, ulahaviram mechuke ritonecha, to make them forget, their goal was to make them forget your Torah, torasecha, your Torah, ulahaviram, and make them transgress mechuke ritonecha, the laws of your will. Now, what we're going to pick apart here is the very specific wording. It doesn't say Lahashki Ham Torah. 
the, it, their goal is not to make the Jews forget the Torah. The goal was to make them forget your Torah. And we're going to discuss that, and then we're going to come back to Mechuke Ritzonecha. We also have that, that Chaf uh, Sofit letter at the end there. That is saying it's adding the word your. In Hebrew, the word your can be added to the end of a word like that. And it's in that Chaf Sofit letter right there that says your. So it's your Torah, meaning God's Torah, and the laws of your will, God's will. So that would they that is what they were picking on. Let's understand what that means. So what that means, Torah secha. We know the Torah is God's Torah. It's Torah's Hashem Tamima, as Tehillim says, it's Hashem's Torah. What is what is Hashem's Torah? It means that it's his wisdom. It's his Chachma Hashem in Hebrew, the Chachma, the wisdom of God. The Torah is godly. It is holy. This is what we know and what we cherish about our holy Torah. That it is, that is the problem that the Greeks had, as opposed to if we were to say that the Torah is just an intellect, a philosophy, a book of wisdom, they have no problem with that. The Greeks had no problem with the Torah as an intellect, as a philosophy, as an interesting book to study and analyze. They even had and wanted the Torah translated into Greek. They valued the intellectual aspect of the Torah. But your Torah, God's Torah, a holy book? Mm -mm. That didn't jive with them. That they couldn't, that didn't work for them. And we have to uh, un understand and appreciate that this is something that often even today people mis are mistaken in and that we need to appreciate when we learn Torah. Because for example, um, I think many people have heard of this, that in South Korea, over the last decade, there's been a craze in South Korea of people learning the Talmud, right? They have their, their uh, education system is highly competitive and they wanted that educational edge and how, and they thought to themselves, okay, so what makes the Jewish people so smart? It must be the Talmud. So we'll learn the Talmud and we'll be smart. And sure enough, there's an article in the New Yorker in 2015 that's titled literally how the Talmud became a bestseller in South Korea. And uh, the news goes that in 2011, 2011 the, the South Korean ambassador said on Israeli television, uh, broadcasted and said that that uh, each Korean family has at least one copy of the Talmud. It's it's amazing. So why? Not because they're appreciating the inherent holiness and the godliness in the Talmud. They're appreciating it as an intellectual pursuit, right? So these mistakes even happen today. Uh, we know that you could really get a PhD in Jewish studies with all your professors, maybe not being Jewish, um, not having an appreciation of the holiness and the godliness in the Torah, but you know, Jewish studies, we could study Judaism, uh, the history, the philosophy, the law, so the ethics. I mean, there's so many aspects. Thank God Torah is rich uh, in intellectual, <laughs> you know, pursuit. And, and we can study it and we do study it in that way. But we also have to remember even the most devout religious Jew pouring over their Talmud has to remember what they're learning. And what are we learning? What is it? It's, it's God's wisdom. It's divine, it's holy, it's godly. And that of course, the Greeks did not like. Because not only are we saying that it's godly and it's holy, we're saying that what Torah really is is beyond the intellect. Now, this is a big, big thing for people who think that, you know, the Greeks have inundated even modern culture today, that often we think the highest form of everything is intellect, right? But the truth is the Torah predates intellect. Why? Intellect, rational thinking, the way that we as human beings think, is a creation of God. 
God created it as part of creation. And the Torah we know predates creation. So if the Torah predates, cre predates creation, then it predates logic and intellect itself. So Torah is above and beyond. And if you notice, Rabbi Ari in the beginning said, what we're going to get to the beneath and the beyond. It's kind of like both. It's like when, when something, you know, it doesn't fit in it at all. It's just, it's underneath it all. And it's also beyond it all. It's God's wisdom. That's what God's wisdom is. And what do we know? We know that God's wisdom is one with God. This is what the Rambam says. Maimonides tells us that God's wisdom is one with him. Why? God is not like a human being where there's ourselves, there's us, and then there's our intellect. And then there's what we know in our intellect, our knowledge. God is not like that. He can't have parts. So if there's God, his intellect and his knowledge, it's all one. So God has to be one with his wisdom. So we're going to use, I'm going to do something absolutely ironic and ridiculous right now. And we're going to actually use a, a law of math and logic given to us from the Greeks <laughs> to explain what the Greeks didn't understand about Torah and Judaism. Okay, it's called the transitive law, right? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And this is literally Greek. So again, thank you, the, thank you, Greeks, for what you've contributed. You're helping us understand what you didn't understand. Fantastic. So what's this, this, um, this law here? If the Torah is God's wisdom, A equals B. Okay, so if Torah is God's wisdom and God's wisdom is one with him, that's B equals C, then the Torah is one with God himself. And that's going to be the A equals C. And this, in Perek, I'll just show you quickly, Perek Dalit of Tanya, chapter four of, of Tanya, the holy book of Tanya, which actually we have been celebrating yesterday and today, um, celebrating uh, Hasidic thought, uh, 19 kiss, 19th and 20th of Kislev. So it's an appropriate time to have lots and lots of resources sources from the Tanya. Um, so the Tanya, it, you know, it spells it out for us. The Zohar says that the Arisa of Kucha the Torah, the Arisa, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu Hashem are really one thing. Okay, so they're one, and it, it, to, the Arisa Torah is the Chachma is the wisdom, Uritsono, and the will of Hashem, and is one with Hashem. The, the, the wisdom of Hashem is one with Hashem. Why? Because as the Rambam says, see, Rambam, the, as the Maimonides says, and it's in English here too, as Maimonides, Maimonides says, um, the knower, the knowledge, and the known is all one, right? God, you can't separate God as knower, knowledge, and known, it's all one. So God's intellect, his, his knowledge, his wisdom is one with him. And therefore, what, what, what are we trying to get to? We're trying to get to saying, I'm sorry, I think like went on a very deep tangent here, but the point is, is that what is Torah? We're trying to understand what is Torah that the Greeks didn't understand. And the answer is Torah is God. It's God written in a book. It's not just that it is holy, but that it is, and it is godly. It is God, it's one with God. It's God written in a book. That is the Torah. And Tanya Perek, uh, the chapter five, actually goes further, and I won't go back to the screen sharing now, I do have it there though, that um, goes further to explain that learning Torah, the beauty of learning Torah, is that it is grasping that which usually cannot be grasped. Changed my mind quickly. I got better at this now. Chapter five of Tanya says uh, that, that the expression tefisa, to grasp, 
No thought can grasp you. No thought can grasp you, God. We cannot grasp you. We are human beings. How can a human being that's bound by intellect comprehend a God that is beyond and greater than intellect? We cannot understand you. We cannot grasp you. And yet, the entire chapter five of Tanya explains how the exception to this is, is Torah learning. Learning the Torah is how we can grasp that which cannot usually be grasped, grasped, meaning God himself. So the beauty of the Torah is that we are, uh, in learning Torah, we're learning God. We're learning godliness. We're learning God himself. And of course, this, the Greeks wanted nothing to do with. They were all you know, they were rational beings. Um, not that we're irrational, mind you. <laughs> Judaism isn't, isn't, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's irrational, sometimes we're, <laughs> but it's beyond, like we've said, we use the word beyond, it's above rationale, rationale. It's above intellect, it's beyond intellect. Um, we're not bound by intellect because God, and therefore the Torah, comes before intellect. So, okay, continuing on, because it's one thing that they didn't understand how the Torah, which is such a beautiful work of, 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 of intellectual pursuit that would have been a fantastic course in, in, you know, Greek studies in the Greek university. And they said, you're ruining it. You're ruining it by saying that it's godly. Why do that to it? Just leave it alone. <laughs> Why are you making it this holy godly thing? So mitzvahs, they had the same problem. They had the same problem with mitzvos. Why? Similarly, their problem with mitzvos was the godliness, the holiness in the mitzvos. What they said was, if you remember, chukei ritzonecha. Those two words are like this. It, it really is two aspects that we'll discuss. Ritzonecha is your will. So the fact that the mitzvah, a mitzvah, us doing mitzvahs, Whatever mitzvah it is, is God's will. It's divine will. The, the hook, the huke part, the fact that it's a hook is another aspect that we'll, we'll mention in a minute. So what is a mitzvah, first and foremost? Simply speaking, a mitzvah is the ratzon Hashem, translated as the will, excuse me, of God, divine will, okay? That's what a mitzvah is. Now, chapter four of Tanya, I told you a lot of Tanya resources tonight. So chapter four of Tanya uh, explains that, that a mitzvah is related to an Aramaic word, savsa, and, and the word chibor. So it's a tzavsa, mitzvah, tzavsa, the chibor, which means both words mean connection. So tzavsa is, I think, Aramaic, chibor is Hebrew, and it means connection. So mitzvah is a connection. And the entire chapter four of Tanya, which again is a different class altogether, um, just like we said, chapter five is a whole different class, chapter four is a different class. They go very nicely together, but um, that it's a connection. And the whole chapter discusses how ratzon, the fact that a mitzvah is the will of God, it's the will, it's the want, it's the desire of God, not for the physical mitzvah itself, believe it or not. God's will and desire and want is not about the fact that a lulav and an esrogan sukkis must be shaken. His will and desire is on us, the Jewish people who are shaking the lulav and esrog. God doesn't have a weird fascination with black boxes you know, the, to fill in stuff. But he has a fascination with us. And God wanted a connection with physical human beings. But there's a very big problem there. God is not physical in the slightest. He's beyond everything. He's even beyond intellect, we're saying. He's beyond anything that has to do with physical human beings or even intellectual beings. So how can an infinite God connect with physical human beings? So what he did, and this I will show you, this over here, what he did, the Tanya says, vitsimtsem, he, okay, the word used here is compressed 
Kadosh Baruch he compressed his ratzon, his will, the chachmaso, his his wisdom into what the six hundred and thirteen commands of the Torah and their laws. Mitzvahs HaTorah, Uvehil Chosehan, Halacha, right? Their Torah and the laws. And it continues not only that, but also um, all the letter combinations of the scripture, whether it's Torah, Nevi'im, Kesuvim, and even the Agadot and the Midrashim of our sages. Every aspect of Torah that we know about is God's will and wisdom compressed into it. So how that relates to Torah, we already discussed. It's his wisdom in a book. And of course, Hashem, God is one with his wisdom. So it must be that the, the book of Torah is one with God. But in mitzvahs, it's the same thing. He compressed his will, his want, his essential desire, and put them in the mitzvahs as a, as a physical means to connect to us, his Jewish people. Because otherwise we're worlds apart. How are we supposed to connect to an infinite God? So I said, okay, I'm going to put my infinite interest in these black boxes just so that you can come use the black boxes or, you know, the Lula Vanessa or whatever the mitzvah is so that at that point we can connect. That's, that's, and again, it's really a whole class on its own, but that's essentially what a mitzvah is. It's a point of connection, a meeting spot with God, a place that we can, the infinite and the physical, we can meet and connect. So the Greeks, they have lots of traditions. They had lots of culture. They appreciated tradition. They appreci appreciated culture. That's all fine and dandy. In fact, every place they went to to conquer, they inculcated all the different um, traditions and cultures into their own. They really appreciated everyone's different, but what was wrong with the Jewish culture that they couldn't stand and couldn't understand? The Jewish culture that went too far. Why? Because we actually claim and say and think and believe that doing a physical action connects us to an infinite being. That's ridiculous to the Greeks. Absolutely. They couldn't fathom that. By shaking a lulav and an esrog, you're connected to an infinite being? Mm -mm. That made absolute no sense to them. So the second aspect that we saw there, that was ritzonecha, your will. The fact that mitzvahs are God's will. We also said that, that, that in al it said chukei ritzonecha. What's a chuk? So... You may have learned before that there are three levels of mitzvos. Mishbat, not levels, categories. It's not a level thing. It's a category, it's different styles, different types, kinds of mitzvahs. Mishpatim, Edim, and Chukim. Mishpatim are civil laws. So essentially they're the laws that we would very much hope society would come up with, with or without the Torah. You know, don't murder, don't steal. Um, and all these laws that are just kind of logical to us that you would need to have in place to have a normal, ethical, well-run society. Adim are testimonial laws. So Shabbos is a testimony to the six days of creation. Pesach, celebrating Pesach, Passover is the fact that God took us out of Egypt so many years ago. So there are certain things in, in, in Judaism that we do, certain mitzvahs that we do um, as a remembrance of something specific. And those we can understand. I mean, we wouldn't have thought of it on our own, but we can understand how they make sense. A chok is a, a different kind of mitzvah, laws that we cannot understand. And as my mom always says, it's a hoax, it's a joke, it's a, right, not, not minimizing it, right, mom? Not minimizing it, just, it's a hoax. It's a hoax, we can't understand it. That's what it means. We can't understand it. It's beyond our intellect. It's beyond our ability to understand. And <clears throat> various mitzvahs come into play here. Uh, you know, this random law shotness that, you know, your clothes can't have wool and linen mixed together. I mean, if you... I don't understand it personally. <laughs> if you understand it, come let me know. Point is, is that we have the red heifer is a classic example. Kosher, you might say lots of laws that they just are, they just are. God said so, so we do it. We don't have an understanding of it. So the Greeks, as we 
have come to appreciate, valued intellect, valued reason, valued rational thinking, and they did not like or they did not admit to anything higher than reasoning. So if we're going to say that there is a kind of uh, mitzvah that is higher than reasoning, there's no reason. It's just it's, you know, beyond our ability to understand those they didn't like. Hence the term chukei ritzonecha, the chokes of Judaism, the parts of Judaism that are beyond rational understanding. Mm -mm. Those aren't good. They didn't like those. Now, the truth is there's two ways of understanding what a chok is. The two ways of understanding. Either we could say that, well, they have a reason, just we as human beings can't understand the reason. It, the reason is too you know, high up there for us to appreciate. It's beyond human understanding. So the Greeks, okay, they wouldn't like that very much, but maybe, you know, maybe that could be tolerable to the Greeks. So, okay, there is a reason at least. But okay, you're saying that we just don't get it. Maybe yet, maybe one day we'll understand when we develop our mind long, you know, better. Okay, then there's another way of understanding what a chok is. And this is really the Hasidic approach, which is that these mitzvahs, or as we'll see, mitzvahs in general, even all mitzvahs, not only chokim, are higher than reason altogether. Going back to the same thing we've been saying, it's higher than reason altogether. It's beyond intellect. God created intellect. God created reason. And mitzvahs and the reasoning behind mitzvahs, well, you don't even need reasoning behind mitzvahs. They're just God's will. They're just God's will. You don't need a reason for God's will. God willed it. What, are you going to ask him why? He's God. <laughs> we can't question God's will. He has these, uh, you know, this will, this desire. Okay. And Chassidus goes as far as to say, like, like I mentioned, that it's not only this third quality of mitzvahs, the chukim that are like that, but really all mitzvahs essentially are chukei ritzonecha. All mitzvahs are God's will, which is higher than reason. They're all chukim. Even the civil laws, even the testimonial laws, they're all really a chok and not a joke. They're all a chok. They're all beyond our understanding because they're all beyond reason altogether. The Greeks mm -mm, could not appreciate that whatsoever, could not stand that, and of course could not understand that. There's a third thing that the Greeks had a problem with, and that's us, the Jews. What's, the, what's their problem with the Jews? I don't know, everyone has problems with the Jews, but what's their, their problem with the Jews? We think we're godly. They actually commanded the Jews to inscribe on, so I was, I was told baby bottles, but it turns out what it is, is they were told to inscribe this on the ox horns, uh, the horns of their oxen, I think is the way to say it. Here we go. There's uh, the Gemara. Uh, so the, the Choshech Galas Yavan, uh, the exile of the, the Greek exile was dark. Why? Because what did they implement? They implement a law that they said to people that they should kiss al karen hashar. They should write on the on the horns of their oxen, I believe, she'ein lahem chilik Yisrael, that they don't have a part in the God of the Jewish people. They're saying, huh, God has disowned you. Forget about him. You have no part in him anyway. And, and why baby bottles? Because in the olden days, they would take those horns and use them to feed their babies. So essentially, uh, they're trying to, and this just explains that really nicely, the connection between this uh, piece of Gemara and the baby bottles, um, how essentially they were trying to educate the Jewish people to educate their own children that they have no part in, in God, really, in the God of the Jewish people, in God. When the truth is, they were fighting against it because it's exactly true. As it says, I shouldn't have closed the share screen because as it says in a different chapter of Tanya, chapter two, Benefesh Ashenis Beisrael, and this this extra, this special uh, soul that a Jewish person has, he chelik elakami mal mamish, 
is literally, most literally, mamish means literally, truly, literally, part of God. Every Jewish person, no matter their level of observance, no matter their affiliation, no matter their personality, every Jew, whether you like it or not, is literally a part of God. We are godly. So yeah, you know, they're telling us we're not godly. It's because we are godly. We're godly people. And they couldn't understand, they couldn't accept this, this, that, that we, just regular human beings, felt that we feel and claim and say we are godly people. They thought we're crazy, either that or we're haughty, right? No, maybe we are. Anyway, because this was their problem with the Jewish people, they outlawed three things. Three famous uh, Jewish laws that they outlawed are Shabbos, bris milah, circumcision, and Rosh Chodesh the institution of um, the first day of the month. So let's understand what was their problem with each of these three things. The problem was how, as we'll see, each of these three things point to the fact that we are godly people. How? Shabbos, often people say that simply they didn't like Shabbos because it's a recognition of God. As we said, it's a testimony to the fact that God created the universe. It's a testimony to God. We don't like it, but really just because, uh, is a question here, just because God rests on the seventh day. So why do we, why do we have to rest? He could rest, let him rest. Why do I have to rest just because he's resting? But the truth is, do you see God resting? I mean, the world runs just fine on Saturday. So God doesn't really stop his work. How does he rest? Through us resting. Our resting on Shabbos, on the seventh day of the week, is God's resting. Hashem rests, God rests through us. How does that work? How can he rest through us resting on the seventh day? Because we are a chilakilokami mal, because we are part of him, that's what it was saying, right? Because we're an expression of God, we're a part of God in this world. Therefore, when we rest, it's him resting. Powerful. That's what they didn't like about Shabbos. Okay, what about circumcision, bris milah? Simply, we could say, well, they idolized the body as we spoke about. How can you change it? The body is perfection. You can't do anything. It don't touch it. You know, it would ruin, it would ruin all our sculptures. So it's a problem to do circumcision. But truth be told, Chassidus explains that the, the circumcision makes the body holy. How so? It makes us not only holy, it makes us one with God, with the infinite God. It makes us, and as you can tell already where this is going and why they'd have a problem with it, right? Greg said, that's crazy. You can't take a newborn baby who doesn't have any intellectual capacity and say that they are one with an infinite being? That's ridiculous, right? To the Greeks. That is beyond their ability to, to comprehend. That a, a eight-day-year-old baby with no intellectual development whatsoever, I mean, okay, studies today might, might disagree. Oh, wow, babies. <laughs> this is the psychology, psychology studies, I know. But um, still, we can appreciate what, what we're saying here. An infinite God, a little baby is one with an infinite God at eight days old. Just because you did something? No. Rosh Chodesh. So simply, first of all, let's understand what, what, what it used to be. Originally, the first day of the Jewish month would um, happen not through a calendar, but through the sighting of the new moon. And the rabbinical court would then declare a day as the head of the month, as Rosh Chodesh. And what's so powerful about this is actually that the day of Rosh Chodesh affects what day certain Jewish, the Jewish holidays will be on. And the Jewish holidays have actual biblical commandments attached to it. So the day that we are obligated 
to bring the Paschal sacrifice, the days that we are obligated not to have any chametz on Passover, these are major biblical commandments, is literally determined by a human court. So simply that's making that we, it's saying that we have the ability, the first problem is that if we're taking a, a regular mundane day and we are making it holy. So what they're saying, what, what Rosh Chodesh is saying is that the power of a Jew is so powerful. We have the power to affect Jewish law, to institute Jewish law. So much so that, by the way, if the rabbinical court made a mistake, but they only realized it was a mistake after they declared a day to be the new month, then it was still the new month. And all the biblical laws would be applicable to the mistaken date. Similarly, we know that there are 613 biblical commandments of the Torah, but there are seven rabbinical commandments of the Torah. And do you know what we say when we, when we light the, um, the Shabbos candles? We say, and which is, by the way, a rabbinical law. Nowhere in the Torah does it say light Shabbos candles. It's a law instituted uh, rabbinically. And it said, and we say, blessed are you, God, the same, you know, bracha, bracha which means that you are sanctifying us with your commandments, with your commandment to us to do this. God didn't command us to light the Shabbos candles. So how can we say that we are being commanded to light the Shabbos candles? And, and if it's just through, through the, the rabbinical court. More so, if we're saying, like we said before, that, that Torah and mitzvahs are divine will, how can we as human beings tamper, affect, or even institute and create divine will? How does that work? And the answer is, because we're divine people. We're godly people. We have a chilakalakam. We have a special a part of God. Yes, we are a part of God. It's not that we have inside of us a little piece. We are a part of God. That's who we are. And therefore, we have this ability to create God's will, to institute the, the new year, etc. So back to our Gemara. Let's go back. Now we're beginning to wrap up. <laughs> we're, let's go back to our Gemara. That um, what did they do when they came into the Heichal, into the Holy Temple? When the Greeks came into the Holy Temple, they defiled the jugs of oil. They didn't destroy them. Why? And Rashi, by the way, Rashi on this Gemara says, Timu is nigu. They touched. They touched. Because the Greeks couldn't get a certain dynamic. They couldn't understand that how a, a, um, a priest, if a Kohen was to have dirty, filthy hands and touch a jug of oil, it would remain pure. If a Greek with pristine, beautifully manicured, clean hands would touch a jug of oil, it would become impure. What is this purity, impurity craziness? That was their fight against Judaism. Their fight against Judaism was godliness, holiness, anything above and beyond reason or understanding. And godliness, which is, which is beyond reason and understanding, is epitomized by the laws of pure and impure. The laws, anything in Torah, and there are lots of it, anything in Torah that touches upon purity and impurity is beyond our ability to understand. Such as the red heifer, such as the laws of family purity, mikvah, and, and we like to give reasons, just by the way. I, I Forgive me. I hope this is okay for me to say. But we like to give reasons for mitzvahs. 
We like to say, oh, kosher is healthy. We romanticize family purity. The time apart is healthy. It's good, it's romantic. And even if there are, is truth to that, the simple truth, we do these things not because of any reasons we might attach to them. We do them because it is God's will beyond our understanding. We keep Torah, we keep mitzvahs, as many reasons as we can come up with. So if you have a reason for shotness, it's not gonna change whether I do shotness or not. If you have a reason for kosher, if you have a nicety about, about family purity, well, the truth is, that might be nice, but that's not why I keep, you know, all the laws, especially when it comes to pur uh, purity, and purity and impurity, that's where we see it. And sure enough, for our last source on this sheet, we have the Maimonides at the end of his uh, Hilchos Mikvos, the laws of Mikvah, very end, summarizing these laws. What does he say? He says, Davar bar tumos vataras, tuma and tahara, matters of purity and impurity are gezeras hakosov. I'm going to bold that. They are scriptural decrees. They are scriptural decrees, which is a, a, the way in, in, in Jewish law that we say can't understand them beyond our understanding. It's just God decreed it, scripture decreed it, God decreed it, all the same, right? And therefore we do it. And they are not matters determined by a person's understanding. And they are included in the category of chukim. Remember that word, chuk, chukim, chukei ritzonecha. They are chukim. Similarly, immersion in a mikvah to ascend from impurity is included in the category of chukim because impurity is not mud or filth that can be washed away with water. And this was the Greeks, what they couldn't understand, right? What is this impurity? A dirty hand isn't going to make it impure, but my clean hand will. Impurity is not mud or filth that cannot be washed away with water. Instead, the immersion is a scriptural decree that requires the focusing, the intent of one's heart. And therefore, the sages said, when one immersed but did not intend to purify himself. Okay, so he continues, he finishes off. What we understand from that is that mikvah, or purity and impurity in general is something we cannot understand. So when they defiled the oil, they were pinpointing exactly what they couldn't understand and couldn't stand about Judaism. The purity and impurity symbolizes the entire aspect of Torah that is beyond intellect, that is beyond reason, beyond understanding, that is godly and holy. That uh -uh, did not work for them. So tying it all together, the Greeks fought against the godliness and the holiness of Judaism. I forgot to stop share. There we go. The Greeks were fighting against the godliness and the holiness in Judaism, whether it's in Torah, saying that Torah is God's wisdom. It's godly wisdom. And it, even though it looks like an intellectual piece of work, it's actually beyond intellect. In mitzvahs, that mitzvahs are divine will, they're ratzon Hashem, they're divine will. And they're actually all essentially chukim, things we cannot understand. It's just God's will. God willed it. God wants to be connected to us. And in a and that the fact that through a mitzvah, we can connect ourselves to an infinite being. And in a Jew, that we are godly. We are, have a chilek eloka, we have a part of God. We are a part of God. We are godly people. This, uh, -uh they could not understand and therefore they couldn't stand. And therefore the entire story of Hanukkah. Next week, <laughs> we'll have uh, the miracle, the miracles and oils and a little bit more about this discussion of light, the light of Judaism. That's what this godliness is. That's what the holiness is behind Torah, behind mitzvahs, behind being a Jew. It's a light. And if I may, it's this light that we are also celebrating uh, yesterday and today, the light that Hasidus gives us. Hasidus is all about the light of Torah, the underneath, the above, the beyond, what's underneath it all, the panemia is the inner dimension of Torah, this light, this godliness, this holiness, 
That's what Hasidus is all about. That's why we got to keep learning it. Excellent. Yashakar, thank you. Amazing. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the ideas on every level, <laughs> super profound. And I think what's beautiful is that you see how it lines up in the prayer liturgy. It lines up from the Talmud. So from the prayers from the Talmud to Maimonides, straight into Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, how everything is aligned. It's the same idea. How uh, the Greeks just couldn't, the supernatural, the, that which was beyond the rational. And as you said, which I loved what you said, that they could even agree that there's something so lofty that they can't get it yet. But to say that it doesn't have a rationale, they, 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 they couldn't, they couldn't go that far to say that it's beyond reason altogether. To say that they don't understand it yet is one thing. Anyway, beautiful. Um, so next week, the topic is oil and miracles. Oil, miracles, and a little bit more about the light, which is all connected. Oil, miracles, light. I mean, it's all one thing, if you know any science, Listen, right? It's, it's fireside chat, my friends. Exactly. I was this thinking is, that right before we started. <laughs> this, is not, this is not a background. This is like a live... What, no, I would probably be foolhardy to put my hand in there. But anyway, this is a this is not a background. This what? Yes. It is a background. No. But it's a live background. Anyway, it's uh it's 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 great to have you all here for the fireside Hanukkah edition next week. Fire and light and oil and miracles. But first, um, Mrs. Miller, are you open to a few questions? Sure. All right, let's do it. I think Karen had a question. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you. That was wonderful. Um, but I am, we, we didn't go back, I don't think, and talk about why there was one, one vial of oil that was left. Okay. So we talked about that, you know, the others were impure, but why one left? Oh, okay. So that was the miracle of Hanukkah, that they actually found one, even though the Greeks tried to defile all of them. And interestingly, if you look at the words in the Gemara, it actually says, kol, I'll show it to you, kol hashmanim. So the, the Greek intention, the Greeks' goal was to defile all, kol means all, every single one of the jugs of oil. And that is why the fact that they did find one is, a, is one of the three miracles of Hanukkah. Thank you. I, I, if, I, if I may add also, I've seen in, in, in Kabbalistic and Hasidic sources that it adds that the Greeks did such a good job of selling their, their brand of rational thinking that the Jews bought into it. And the only thing that saved the Jews was that at the core of the neshama, there's a part of the neshama that never gets swept into the, um, the philosophy. Like everything else is rational and reason. Listen, I think we can relate to it in 2020. Everything has to make sense, right? Or else we're not, we're not in. But there's a part of us, the core essence, the one singular part of self that never gets, uh, never sells out, so to speak. And that's the pachecha. That's the one, the one jar, the one. There's still in each of us one pure space that no one can touch and nothing can touch. In other words, as Mrs. Moore said before, the miracle is us. It's not just the oil. The miracle is us. Questions, comments, Donna, go ahead. Yeah, I think there's a bit of an irony because of all the Greeks' rationality. I mean, it's irrational for them to have all these feelings about us. I mean, it's, and it's just what we continuously were subjected to. All the discrimination throughout the ages, other societies just in their own ways weren't comfortable with us, but it didn't have any, we didn't, weren't doing anything wrong. So in a sense, really, it's all irrational how they behaved. Absolutely. <laughs> they're good. They're, that shows how far rational thinking goes, right? Can I ask one more question or just... Or, yeah, for sure. So the other thing, the one part that has always bothered me is this idea that, you know, we are part of God as a people. And it, and, it, and it comes across as sounding as if it's exclusive of the rest of humanity. And, and it's particularly on my mind, uh, we just, I just watched this amazing Shlashim presentation for Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who you know, spoke so much about um, the beauty of the particular nature of the Jewish people, 
but then our universal responsibility and the appreciation for people of different faiths. So, so you know, for like my grandchildren, I wouldn't want to tell them that we are, are a piece of God and that's unique to us. I would want them to embrace that everyone, you know, is godly, but you know, for the story, it works, right? But I think that, that um, I just am curious what your thoughts are, Mrs. Miller. Oh, you said what your thoughts are, Mrs. Miller. I was going to say, Rabbi Ari, if you want me to be politically correct, <laughs> you should really go ahead. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a really good, I'm sure you can answer, but it's, it's a very good question. I mean, look, the story with the, with the oil, let's, let's go back to the oil, right? The defiling of the oil. The truth is the oil was sealed by the high priest which means that even if a non-priest Jew would have, would, have, would have broken the seals, it would have also had a, an altered state. So it's really about understanding that there are certain levels of holiness, certain levels of things that we consider sacred, and that we have to hold those dear even when you know, the world says, don't take it so seriously and don't, not what's so sacred about it and what's so special about your customs and your rituals. And you say, no, it's sacred. And someone's trying to rip it away from you. And the question is, so at what point do you stand up for, for, for you? So I think it actually fits very well into um, the, what you mentioned. And I didn't see it. Was it broadcast, the, the tribute to uh, Rabbi Dr. Jonathan? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's on. It's going to be on his website, I think. Well, it, and it's it, also it. you can also restream it on YouTube because I watched it as well today. It was amazing. Yes, yeah, I, I got to check it out. Um, but yeah, I think it fits very well into it because you know the whole idea of 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 valuing both the particular and the universal, right? And that each shouldn't come at the cost of the other. So. You know, if the Jew says live and let live, so we have our temple, we have our culture, we have our belief system, and you have yours. We have our temple and you have your, um, uh, um, what do they have? The thing, the amphitheater. No, it's like the a name for it. The amphitheater, huh? the... Um... No, the Acropolis, Acropolis. Yanni, the remember Parthenon. Yanni? The Parthenon. The huh? Parthenon. Parthenon, yeah. All right, so like the, yeah, that, that the we can get along, but but the Greeks suddenly say that no, 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 no. If you believe that God gave you this, if you believe that God wants a relationship with you, if you believe that this mitzvah connects you and is the interface interface between you and God, that suddenly trait that's suddenly not okay. I mean, then listen, then 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 what are we then then what's going on? Then you're not respecting the particular. So now so now there's uh. Now, now we get, now we got a problem, right? Now we, now there's an issue because you're not letting Judaism be. The issue is not even what the Jews think, to be honest. The issue is if we drop, if if we lose our connection with who we are, right? The issue is not that there were Helen, Hellenists out there. The issue is that it started that it crept into our camp, because in very short order, God forbid, Judaism could be completely wiped out. Listen, you and I know, this is not a secret. You don't need to be a philosopher or a mystic to understand this. You and I know that if at any point over the last 3,300 years, if the Jews were to have fully assimilated and fully accepted and embraced all of the ethos, values, cultures, teachings, philosophies, books, right, um, ways of their host country, it would, it would be, we would be, we would be done. If we became Greek, it was not 3,300 years, so we had, we had Israel for a while. If we became Greek 2,200 years ago, we're not having this conversation. And honestly, I like this conversation because, <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, I got a nice warm fire. And I'm hoping my chair is not getting too warm. But anyway, my, my point is that if at any point, you know, any, we would have hook, line, and sinker said, you know what? Hell, it doesn't make sense. Torah is a, like Mr. Miller said, Torah is a philosophy. Greek is a Greek. The Greeks have philosophies. We have philosophies, but we can all get along, and it's all—it's all the same. If we said that 2,200 years ago, we're not here today. So yes, there's a healthy respect of the other, but there also has to be a healthy respect of self, and that works both ways. Which means that if the Greeks, not if they want us to respect them, they have to respect us because it's not—we yeah, should respect others. But the issue of Hanukkah was that they said you can't, and they broke into the temple. And they put a pig on the altar and they broke the, they filed the, the oil. It wasn't just, 
you know, uh, op-eds being written in the, in the New York Times against each other. This was, this was real encroachment on the core of Judaism. And that crossed the line. So is everyone holy? 100%, right? Is God, is, it does every being, every human being, and really every being, have a spirit from God? Absolutely. Does Judaism have a particular way of, of, of life? Yes. Did the Greeks respect that? No. And hence the story of Hanukkah. But what specifically, and this is the point of tonight's, tonight's session, is what specifically, it wasn't just they broke into the temple and uh, the Greeks weren't the Romans, right? It's, and it's important that we understand the difference. The Romans were all about power and, 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 and brute and might. And when the Romans thought that we were revolting, they said, we're done. That wasn't the Greeks. The Greeks, it was a spiritual battle. Which is why the whole holiday, we don't celebrate. Maybe you'll talk about this next week. In the observance of Hanukkah, we don't talk about the military victory. There's no celebration. It's only the light. You'll probably mention this next week. I don't want to say too much. But it's, it's wholly a spiritual celebration. We light oil candles. Because it's all about the theme of tonight. It's all about the higher dimension. But that's next week, oil and miracles. And without... You know, knowing exactly, I can only imagine that it's going to be it's enough oils floating. This is going to be like high level, top shelf, the good stuff next week. Oil and miracles. We've got uh, any other. We have maybe one more question. Any more questions? Final word. Who wants to get the final word in? All right. All right, Mrs. Miller, thank you so much. It is great to have you here thank you. With, the, uh, with our in-town Jewish Academy family. Uh, thank you for teaching us. Next week, same bad time, same bad channel. A few quick scheduling announcements. Tomorrow night, we have Hanukkah jewelry and pre-holiday celebration. So this is going to be, think, you know, disco night. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out tomorrow night, 8 p.m., live Hanukkah jewelry making and celebration. Tuesday night, listen, if it's good for the South Koreans, it's good for us. Talmud course launches Tuesday night. But this Talmud course is not just the philosophy of Talmud. No, this is Talmud with a, with a spiritual twist to it. I, and I'll make sure to tell the teacher also to throw that in, after, certainly after tonight. So Tuesday night, we start our four-part series on Talmud. Again, the South... I, I, I love that. I got to check out that article from, you said it was the New Yorker, uh, Mrs. Miller from the New Yorker, um, the South Korea. Wait, hold on. You're, you're muted. Okay. Uh, now I'm temporarily unmuted. Yes. Yeah. So oh, you got to mute again. You got to unmute again. Hold on. Okay. I'm unmuted. <laughs> How the Talmud oh, became is. a bestseller in South Korea from the New Yorker. Okay, well, that's definitely legitimately the New Yorker. That's definitely a New Yorker. How the Talmud became a bestseller in South Korea. Okay, so we got to look up that article. Ross Arbeth. Okay, good. Awesome. Yeah, so listen, the South Koreans, yeah, they figured it out. They cracked the code. They cracked the code. It's the Talmud, baby. Tuesday night. Donna has her um, festive gear for tomorrow night. Right. It's going to be a disco party. Disco party. Disco party. Bring your bring your light up Hanukkah sweaters. So that's Monday night. Tuesday night is Talmud, and don't forget Saturday night. Don't forget Saturday night. The engineer, chief engineer behind Israel's Iron Dome. Talk about modern day miracles and protecting Jewish interests, protecting Jewish lives in modern times. Ancient miracles of Hanukkah combined with modern miracles of our times. Iron Dome, 2,500 rockets, at least 2,500 rockets have been intercepted in the last decade. Meet from Israel live, 3 a.m. his time, 8, 8 p.m. our time, a little easier for us. Saturday night, you will get a box of latkes and donuts and Friday, pick it up, and then uh, you'll join us Saturday night, 8 p.m. Havdalah, celebration, we'll light the menorah, etc. Also, and then Sunday, don't forget Sunday. And don't forget also to invite your friends and your family to all of these events and, uh, and anything else. Also, I need to mention one more thing. I got a call this afternoon from Chabad.org. You know Chabad.org? It's like a website? Yeah. So it wasn't the website that called me. It was one of the, the, the chief folks of the website. 
So he said that, you know, they're thinking about Hanukkah. It's good. It's a few days before. Thinking about Hanukkah and thinking that, you know, people are going to be suffering more than ever at home this year because, you know, pandemic. So we want to get, uh, you know, special Hanukkah at home, you know, uh, programming. I said, okay, so what do you have in mind? So we, we want to call up eight rabbis from around the country to do a special message from their home and then broadcast live. So live message for like 10 minutes and then prepare the menorah together with everybody, you know, on Chabad.org live. This is Chabad.org. And then a live lighting with the family, which means you guys are, Ellie, hey bro. That means you guys are in it. I didn't tell the man. Anyway, so that will be, I'm going to be doing it Monday, next Monday. So, and that's going to be at about, I think 5 p.m. I'm still waiting on all the logistics and what platform it's going to be on. Is it Facebook Live? Is it Zoom? I will share that with you. I just want to give you news. It just happened in the last few hours. I got a call and that's happening. So um, again, here's what you need to know. Tonight, you're here. We're here. We're wrapping up. Tomorrow night is the Jewelry Hanukkah party. Tuesday night is the Talmud. Wednesday night is Torah studies. Thursday night is the first night of Hanukkah and Tanya. Um, Friday night is Shabbos. And then Saturday night is the rocket, rocket scientist, Iron Dome. Sunday is Fireside again. Monday is Chabad.org. Oh, and also You're Sunday. you busy, huh? A little bit. Just a little bit. And then don't forget also we have our drive-in um Hanukkah movie Shindig Sunday. This coming Sunday. Sunday uh Sunday Hanukkah. Pont City Market. You guys know about this? It's around a little bit. You gotta check like Facebook and whatnot. Basically, we're doing in Pont City Market, you come in with your car, and there's gonna be a huge screen up built up on a platform, and like old school, like or whatever, like a drive-in movie, you tune into the station. And you're good to go. It'll be broadcast. And Karen, if you, you're still in Maine, I'll give you I the frequency. Am. It might I work. Am. Yeah. It might work. You give me what? The frequency, the channel. Oh, that would be awesome. That right? would be awesome. Because I, I remember love- as a kid, it worked. AM. Yeah. This is FM. No, this is like shortwave. All right, whatever. We'll have to figure out a way. But will I be able to stream the movie? Uh, maybe. Um, I can check. I, I'll, I'll check into it. I'll check into it. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Totally cool. I, I will see if I can check it. I'll, I'll check into it and I'll see if, if that can happen. Um, it's free. Just drive in. If you want dinner, you just go on the website, on, on, on the Chabad in Town website. Um, hit the Chabad in Town website and you can order. There's a dinner option. It's from Fuego, Fuego Mundo, which is a great restaurant. What's Fuego? Fuego is the place that you like. What do you mean? You know Fuego. Riva pops up. Fuego? Yes. Yes, that is Fuego. The Fuego that you know and love. And then when you drive in, you'll get like a package of, or box or bag of food. Anyway, okay, so that's all the announcements. What do I want? I'll tell you later. All right, so that is that. And she's taking my order. And um, okay, it's great to see you guys. Happy Hanukkah. Happy week leading up to Hanukkah. And don't forget to get all your Hanukkah stuff. Oh, if you need any materials, like candles, menorahs, for you or for someone you know or whatever, just let me know. Just give me a call, shoot me a text. We got stuff. We'll take Rabbi care. Ari, I, I didn't have my menorah here because I didn't expect to be here this late. So I went to, you know, the rabbi here, the Chabad. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got my little tin menorah, you know, the little box there menorah. But I did buy nice candles. I just want you to know. So. Nice, nice. Listen, <laughs> you gotta you gotta make it beautiful. That's how that's how we do it. All right. Good. It's good to see you all. One final look at the fire for the fireside chat. There we go. All right, Lila Tov. Thank you, Mrs. Miller. Yes, Koach. Hope you're all hope you're all inspired. And now, when you light that first candle Thursday night, now you'll know exactly what's going on. Now you'll know that it's something beyond reason, something infinite. All right. We'll see y'all soon. Take care. Shavuot. Tov. Thank you. Take care. Bye, everybody.